0: Welcome to New Human Living Radio Show, bringing you powerful interviews to awaken the power in you. Learn more at newhumanliving.com. And now your host, Les Jensen.
1: Uh, what, uh, can we get wet cleanup in aisle 5? Wet cleanup in aisle 5. Welcome to Planet Earth. Now, how many of us did not read the fine print when it came to um, deciding to come to Planet Earth, to to be born into the human experience here on Planet Earth? It must have been really small print to, to talk about some of the tough stuff that can happen on this planet. Maybe it was microfish secretly hidden in the last period of the brochure um i'm really i'm excited for this episode tonight partially because um i indirectly have some skin in the game um the topic tonight is pts dreams and our guest tonight is linda schiller we're going to bring her on in just a minute my uh my father fought in the Pacific campaign of World War Two, decades before I was born. And uh, fast forward, and um, I, I'm the last of seven kids. And so I was born into a household with some pretty ex- um, high intensity, you might say high intensity, Um, emotions and it's a curious thing it's I spent six decades of my life really not understanding that very well and as far as I was concerned it was a tempest it was a endurance test it was like some kind of a survival tactic and a very curious very curious thing happened Oh, I guess it was about a year ago, year and a half. When when I was born into my family dynamic, my father had such an immense amount of anger in his psyche uh, among other feelings. And uh, If you look into World War II, there were two theaters of of battle the European theater and the um, um, Pacific theater. You might be familiar with the Band of Brothers. That same outfit made another uh, series called The Pacific. And it, it's uh, very well done. And if you watch both those series you'll see they're two quite different wars in the pacific campaign often the soldiers could bed down in hotels and whatnot and in the pacific campaign they were always out in the open in the jungle so they could be people could take pot shots at them 24 7. The Pacific Campaign had a D-Day equivalent like every month or whatever, as they go from island to island. The the landing spot was well known. It wasn't somewhere along a thousand miles of coast. It was, it's gonna happen right here. And so the intensity of that, of landing multiple times, multiple D-Days, so to speak, they're different, they're not identical, but, The intensity of my father was a tempest that that stirred him so deeply he He was a very intense man and what had what happened about a year ago is I had been living in this tense environment, and I kind of had this i don't know what to call it a psychological guard up i I had this i'm I'm ready for it mindset i'm i'm kind of um always on my guard so to speak to to navigate the terrain of my childhood but i don't know how to describe it outside of saying a bubble popped about a year ago year and a half somewhere this bubble popped and and the tenacity that i took on my persona the survival tactic or whatever you want to call it, the tenacity that my childhood instilled on me became a gift. Because when that metaphorical bubble popped, I still had my tenacity. My father has passed many years ago. I still had my tenacity, but but i i realized i did not have to posture with my environment anymore and when that bubble popped it was like oh wait a minute oh ooh this ooh this feels kind of nice ooh i like this i i i lost the posture that i had carried with me all my life and and the need for the tenacity vanished but I still had the tenacity. My my father paid very dearly for the gifts that he gave me. As a young kid in his first exposure to battle, he was impaled with horror. He was impaled with kill or be killed and do it right the now or we'll all die. And that intensity could not be let off for about a year and a half of his life. And if I could go back to my childhood, I would give him a hug every single day and say, damn, you made it. You made it. You made it. Oh, my God, you made it. I'm so glad you're here. And that's such a polar flip from how I felt about my past not that long ago. What I had seen as an endurance test, some kind of a marathon of endurance, has turned around and given me fantastic gifts in my persona i'm i am I am stubborn, resolved focused determined um, I could name a bunch of traits and i can I can trace those back directly to the intensity of my father. I don't think he really ever got through the anguish. He had five heart attacks and he ended up passing a while back. He didn't ever break into the clear of really, really, really relaxing to to let his guard down, so to speak. And that's why tonight's episode, I just, I'm I'm so very delighted that we're going to talk about this tonight. Let's get to it. The topic tonight is PTS Dreams, and our guest is Linda Schiller. PTS Dreams is the name of her latest book with the subtitle, Transform Your Nightmares from Trauma through healing dream work. This book is an innovative, compassionate, and comprehensive guide to healing traumatic nightmares through active dream work. The purpose of this book is to provide both the layperson and the professional with an integrated and empathetic body-mind-spirit approach to healing from nightmares that can wreak havoc with your sleep and dreams and linger in our waking life. Our guest tonight, Linda Schiller, is an international speaker, dream work specialist, and integrative mind-body-spirit psychotherapist. In addition to PTS dreams, she, she is the author of Modern Dreamwork: New Tools for Decoding Your Soul's Wisdom in Comprehensive and Intuitive Trauma Treatment. She is trained or certified in a variety of traditional and alternative treatment modalities. I think we should get to it. We have a lot to talk about. Join me in welcoming Linda to the show. Linda, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you very much. Nice to be here.
1: First of all, bravo. I really like your book. You're you're so methodical and articulate, and it's presented in such an easily digestible format, but yet it's very um, effective and comprehensive. So good job.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much.
1: What what made you uh, take on uh, PTSD and dreams and write a book about it? Well, us just
0: several questions all layered into one there. Um, I studied and trained to be a psychotherapist, and as part of my work, the, the, my, my very first uh, population that I worked with really was working with, with adolescents, and I did that for years and years. And then my next job after a... Graduating from social work school, from graduate school, after working with teens, I was on a treatment team um, for trauma treatment, and I was hired on uh, to the team. And I learned a tremendous amount about trauma and PTSD and healing and recovery, and that kind of just sort of became the trajectory of my professional life's work. Um, was sort of this. By chance, there was this this job opportunity for me. Um, And several years after beginning my career professionally, I became interested in and was invited to join a dream circle. A friend of mine moved up to the Boston area, and she said, I don't miss anything about living in New York City. I'm I'm tired of the big city, but I miss my dream circle, so I'm going to start one and then her next point question was you know would you be in my dream circle and i just said yes and then my next question was what's a dream circle <laughs> but my my guts right my intuition said this is something you need to say yes to and that was the beginning of my my love affair really with all things dreams and connected to dreams and we we've been meeting for almost 40 years a group of us in this dream circle and I wow. I run professional dream circles I teach classes in dream in dream work and at you know some point in my career my my work with survivors of variety of different types of trauma ranging from war vets to um, Battered women, to childhood abuse, to medical trauma—just sort of any anything that comes through the door—sort um, of came together with my love of dreams and dreaming, and the two paths coincided. Um, so the first book really was the focused on on dreams as a as a spiritual path. Modern dream work was about the, the theme of modern dream work was Dorothy's journey through Oz. So we follow the yellow brick road in in that book and sort of trace um, how dreams can bring us home. And in the first book, there are several chapters, and one of them really focused on nightmares. And I wasn't planning on writing a second book quite so soon after the first one. I was still kind of, you know, getting over the... Um, you know, sort of the, the effects of, of marketing and promoting a first book. Right. But, oh, sure. um, yeah. But then COVID hit and we all plunged into worldwide trauma and not PTSD, right? Because that's post-traumatic. That's after the trauma when we're finally in a safe place. We're all living through ongoing trauma before there were options before there were vaccines and people were locked, cities were locked down, people were shut in. people were dying. And I can really say, I just felt called, don't wait, don't wait. And so that was my pandemic project, if you will, was, was writing this book in, in response to my feelings the need for something to help us understand how trauma works and how it can generate nightmares and then to offer some methods and techniques and uh, avenues for healing the nightmares. Because when we heal on one plane of consciousness or awareness, we can then heal on the other. So working with our nightmares can help us heal from the source of them when they're sourced in trauma.
1: Nice.
0: Wrong answer to your question.
1: (laughs) No, you're doing just fine. Um, What's... uh, I mean, we're going to use the word trauma a fair amount here, and I like to be clear about what we're talking about. Can you give us a snapshot of what constitute trauma? Sure. so for starters, trauma is
0: there's both an objective and a subjective uh, sort of definition, if you will, because as unique individuals, We all have different reactions to situations or events that happen in our lives. So, what might be a trauma for one person might not be for another, or the extent of the traumatic response could be different. That being said, when someone experiences or witnesses, either way, a life event or a series of life events where they feel endangered. or or terrified, or that their life or their um, safety is threatened, that constitutes a traumatic event in their life. And it can range from what we would call little t traumas, sort of the small everyday things that we all experience every so often in the course of life that we're they're still traumatic, but they're not life-threatening, and we get over them on our own pretty quickly. Um, you have a, a small fender bender on the highway. Um, you or someone in your, your love gets sick, and it's not a life-threatening illness, but they feel lousy or you feel lousy, and it's a little scary because it's taken longer than you thought to get better, right? These are could be small T traumas. And then we move on to the big T traumas, things such as you described, you know, with your dad who who didn't have a day that he was safe for a year right. and a half, right? And then people who grow up in environments where their home is not safe or who live through natural disasters. And then even after the hurricane or after the earthquake, they're still living with the devastating after effects of what happened to their home and their belongings and their family. Um, so there are traumas that are sort of one and done. You Something happens and, and then it's done. And then there are traumas that last for a very long time. And those are the ones that can creep, you know, underneath our consciousness and lodge themselves in, the, in our body, mind, and spirit and, and come out in the form of traumatic nightmares.
1: Nice. Well, now you mentioned that, um if so, if an event is traumatic or not to us can be a a reflection of of the individual in other words two people have pretty much the same event and to one person it's traumatic and to the other person it is not is there some we can teach our kids or some way to raise the populace to to prep them for uh Um, experiencing events and not having such a traumatic response to it?
0: Mm. You you, you got a couple of months for this conversation. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, there, there are a number of things we can do and a number of things to think about. So for starters, when a child is born and raised with loving attachment figures in their life, when they start out life with a secure attachment and they feel safe and protected in their, in their home, in their childhood, that's the best start. Because if we have a, even just one person, but certainly if there are several people in our lives from very, very early on that we can count on. Because when we're kids and when we're little people, The world is a big, scary place, and everyone is bigger than us, and they have control over us. But if we have a safe harbor, that sets us up both emotionally, spiritually, and actually neurobiologically to be able to uh, build resilience throughout our system. And that may be one of the things, in addition to starting out with having good enough uh, parent or guardian, good enough attachment figures where you feel safe that allows us to build the resilience. And then being given um, opportunity to express ourselves for kids not to be told things like big boys don't cry or, you know, girls shouldn't, you know, play hard at a sport, to really allow each child to develop the fullness of themselves, including access to their emotional life, will give us greater resilience, will give us greater self-knowledge, and will give us a stronger base to stand, you know, as kids on our own two feet. As I'm talking, I'm I'm reminded of a a friend of mine who – Talked about her daughter when her daughter was in kindergarten or first grade. And some of the kids were bullies in, in her classroom and they, they didn't want to play with her. And they said to her, You know, you have, I don't remember the details, you have red hair, so we're not going to play with you. And she just kept coloring and she said, Okay. And they said, didn't you hear us? We don't want to play with you. You have red hair. You're, you're the devil. You know, we're going we're gonna to tell all our friends not to play with you. And she said, I don't care. I have other friends to play with. It doesn't matter to me what you tell those other people. I know my red hair is beautiful. And the fact that this five- or six-year-old could say that <laughs> – was so amazing, right? She had the experience of good enough parents and good enough attachment figures so she already knew inside of herself a sense of security and of who she was and she couldn't be bullied by these kids. And pretty soon they just gave up trying because they weren't getting their eyes out of her.
1: Wow. So that's a partial answer to to your question. Well, sure. Um, You know, the... Uh, when we, when we take on trauma especially i i i don't swim in this pond all, as much as you you do but especially as a child especially as a child by themselves
0: mm-hmm. when
1: when the environment becomes so scary so afraid uh, they they reach out for survival tactics they they That's right. they Conjure up a way to get through the situation, and 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 if it's a if it's a long term event, i.e., like an abusive household or whatnot, it can instill uh, behavioral traits that are really survival tactics, and then fast forward into the adult world, and they seem functional. They seem like they have their act together, mm-hmm. right. but they're really living on kind of a perhaps a frail or a fragile um lattice of beliefs or tactics or whatnot and mm-hmm. and their bodies show it as extreme stress or or various ailments. How how I mean, can we sprinkle flour on the kitchen floor and look at our footsteps? How can we, how can we tell if we have trauma um, so, in our subconscious motivating us?
0: Well, the 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 fastest way to have access to our unconscious or our subconscious is really through our dreams. That is the the quickest road. I mean, there there are this is where Freud and Jung actually agreed, the fastest road to self-knowledge and to the deeper parts of ourselves that are asleep in our waking life are to access and pay attention to our dreams Uh, because that gives us a window into the parts of ourselves that we have suppressed or repressed or not yet dealt with. And when we get reoccurring nightmares, for example, that's an SOS from our unconscious that says, pay attention here. There's something you haven't yet come to terms with. You haven't yet metabolized and your system is doing its its best to alert you to the fact so that you can still, it's, it's not too late to work through, to attend to these dreams, to make sense and, and meaning out of them. And one of the ways that we can tell if we're having a traumatic response to something is through what is called a trigger response. And that term to be triggered is, is kind of gotten co-opted by the popular culture and it's kind of thrown around a lot now. But what it means in essence is that you're having a reaction or response to something in your current life that's way bigger than one would expect from the stimulus that happened. You are terrified, you are enraged, you are grief-stricken by something that to someone else would be relatively minor. If that's the case and if that reoccurs, that's what we would call a trigger response. And then we want to say, okay, so what's this about? What's what's the source of my really, really big emotional response to this not so big event that I encountered. And so that's a hint for us in addition to um, dealing with the contents of our dreams and nightmares.
1: So if I've just been dreaming and not perhaps paying attention to them, for myself, I don't have nightmares but I know I have subconscious stigmas or, or uh, habitual patterning that does not serve me. Uh, how do we introduce ourselves? <laughs> how do we how do we break the break the the, the ice as far as um, interacting with our dreams in a meaningful way? In other words, if I up to this moment I really didn't pay attention to my dreams. And now I'm going to want information from my dreams. Mm -hmm. Do do I have to prime the pump? Do I write down questions? I I mean, how do I establish a dialogue with something I've perhaps ignored my whole life?
0: Well, you hit the nail on the head. Exactly right. So for starters, I would say good for you when you say, even though I might not have I don't have nightmares or I may or may not remember my dreams. I'm aware of these parts of myself, some of which serve me, some of which don't. Because you're right, just to go back to what you said a little while ago, that we develop strategies when we're kids to deal with situations where we feel helpless and we can't get away or we feel endangered, You know, which can range from having a really kind of hard shell exterior to dissociative responses of learning how to sort of take ourselves out of the situation in our mind if we can't leave in our body to learning to be people pleasers. I mean there's a whole range of different responses that actually originally helped us because if we've survived into adulthood then that's a plus on the plus side right there. So we need to respect and appreciate and thank those parts of ourselves which in um, a form of therapy called IFS internal family systems um, it will call protector parts and they developed in order to protect us however it may be that they've outlived their usefulness and we don't need them anymore because we're actually not living with the same threat and this is what happened with your dad he, he got frozen in time
1: so even right. once
0: he was in the Pacific, he was frozen in time. Part of him, his his soul, was as if he was still on those islands, you know, you know, trying to gain a beachhead over and over again. So part of our work then to heal from trauma that has happened and to heal from nightmares is to begin to thaw out um, those frozen places in our psyche. So. To go back to your question then about how do we access this this wise guide of, of our dreaming minds, the first thing to do is to want to, right, and to value it. In our Western culture, we, we, we don't tend to put as much value as I wish we did on dreams and dream work, because from antiquity, that has always been a source. If you look at any indigenous people, at any spiritual tradition, the leaders and the shamans and the priests and, and the prophets were always the best dreamers in the tribe. So we, I think we need to reclaim some of that earlier wisdom about valuing our dreams. And then once we value them, we can then more easily put our attention on remembering the dreams we have, because we all dream five to seven times every night. We have REM cycles, REM, rapid eye movement cycles. We don't always remember them. But we always dream. We tend to only remember the ones just before we wake up. But if you or one of the listeners want to use this um, source of, of wisdom and insight, start to honor it, start to value it, and get a dream journal. Because dreams come from an altered state of consciousness, a sleeping self. And, you know, you sit up too fast, you turn over, you take a shower, they're gone. So I always encourage people to write them down, anchor them in, on paper and pencil, or you know, if you if you absolutely can't write in a journal, by all means use your phone or your computer, but get it down in writing somehow, so that you can come back and work on it later. Otherwise, it's very likely that either all or part of the dream will just disappear like a wisp of smoke. Well,
1: now this episode can resonate with people that have horrible nightmares, perhaps over and over and over again. And if if they've had a history of when they have a nightmare of just like recovering and licking their wounds metaphorically to get past the event and get back to a, quote, normal, unquote, how how can they change their experience of the horror of a nightmare mm-hmm. i mean mm-hmm. what what changes in the dream that changes the outcome of the dream if it's so if it's so loaded with an emotional component and mm-hmm. what we want to do is drop into that reaction pattern that's worked forever How do we bring a new uh, technique or, I mean, what do we do in the dream uh, as we bump up against that horror to change the outcome? Well,
0: that's a really good question. And that goes to the core of one of the methods that I designed for working nightmares, which is the GAIA method, which stands for Guided Active Imagination Approach. And this method or style of working with nightmares is based on two pillars. And one pillar or one leg, if you will, is on uh, the Jungian style of active imagination, which means in your waking life, once you've woken up, you then go back inside your dream and interact with the dream characters and the landscape and the objects. So that's one pillar. The other pillar, though, is based on best practice trauma treatment, and in best practice trauma treatment, what we're doing is we are creating safety first. There's no—I tell my clients, right? There's no extra brownie points for gratuitous suffering. You don't have to suffer. You don't have to relive things in the same way that you experienced them originally. So the first part of the protocol for doing, working in this way is we create resources for safety before we even go near the scariest parts of the dreams and nightmares. So I will invite people to, you know, get into a kind of meditative place to relax and I'll lead them through questions and have them build a safety posse. Like who would you want to have in your corner to protect you to feel safe with to feel comforted with and these can be real live people they can be people who've passed over to the other side they can be imaginary characters from a a movie or a storybook or mythological god or goddess Um, they can be divine beings in some form angels or guides it can be your pets alive or pets who've passed over Whoever or whatever helps you feel safe and protected, I ask people to gather these people around them before looking at the horrors inside the dream. So we're going back then to that previous Um, imperative of the best way to have a healthy child is to start with really good solid attachment figure so here we're adding these attachment figures in to the person who has the nightmare to hold close even if it's their mind's eye they can create this sense of safety with people and as well as objects talismans meaningful objects before going inside the dream to begin to encounter and interact with the the monsters or the demons that are confronting them there. So when working with our very scariest nightmares, we want to go very slowly. We don't want to sort of just dive head first in because then we're in a sense almost recreating the traumatic event again. So we want it to be different this time through. Right? We want we want the dreamer to be accompanied and have a felt sense of safety so they can toggle back and forth between the safe people and the safe places and then dipping their toes into the waters of, of the scary, murky depths that they need to um, figure out what what they are and what they've come to tell them and then what they need to do as a result of having access to this information.
1: So a war vet might say, "Well, well, lady – the the dangers <laughs> I had in the battle of war were real. They were people were dying. My friends died in my hands. I I witnessed such a horrible thing. What's mm-hmm. what's an imaginary component going to do that? I mean,
0: so, yeah. No, that's a very. So what I would say to that that person, I would I would ask them. I said. First, I would offer my condolences and say, I'm, I'm so sorry you had to go through that. And thank you for your service, which is kind of fright, but it's still true. And then I would say, H- when were you there? 1930 what? 1940 what? Okay. What year is it now? 2022. Are you still there? Are you still in the Pacific? Are you still in Germany? Are you still in Vietnam? The answer, if they're sitting here talking to me, would be no. So I would say, okay, let's start with that. Part of what happened is that your parts of your psyche got frozen in time, so that it feels to you inside of yourself like this is still going on. But it's not on the outside. It's not in linear time right now. So our job is to form a bridge so the parts of you that lived through these horrific events can cross the bridge and catch up with the reality of that right now here sitting in this room together, you're actually physically safe. Because a lot of people who've been through trauma don't know that. Because extreme trauma takes away our experience of safety, our felt sense of safety, and our ability to imagine ourselves ever safe in the future. So we want to restore the difference between that was then and this is now as a starting point. And then we say, even though we can't change what happened to you in the past, because it happened, we can to use a modern metaphor, upgrade your operating system to let your whole self know it's not happening anymore. Because if you're stuck in time and you're reliving it, then you're not doing the job of mourning and grieving in order to heal from the wounds of what you experienced. So those would be a few places, and this is, and it's easy for me to say in a few sentences here, but this can be the work of you know, weeks, months, and years, of course, as well.
1: Sure, well, trauma, as you've mentioned, can fragment us fragment our- our persona our personality and oftentimes when when people are are raised or they grow up in a in a caustic household or a caustic environment for whatever reason they'll mm-hmm they'll go through a, a healing process yeah. of sorts and kind of uh find an equilibrium, find a place of rest. And and compared to their past, it's flipping heaven in that yeah. <laughs> the, the 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 caustic element is gone. But if they spent their whole childhood in a in a posture stance of of uh a traumatic environment mm-hmm. there's a whole range of our personality that would have developed had we not been so caustic we we would have many more experiences actually c- come all the way into our persona and when when we're in fight or flight mode we ignore that the the quote trivial unquote um, aspect uh, that actually makes us a rich and full uh, human being. So so mm-hmm. to come out of the trauma, how do you reconstitute what might have been, if that makes sense? Mm.
0: So everything you said is, is, is right on target and we do fragment. And, and, and that's one of the, the key components of someone who's had a long trauma history is that sense of fragmented self so we, we start with the ideal or the idea of moving toward wholeness and repair and and one of the greatest metaphors that I, I know for this idea of, of wholeness and repair is from kintsuki which is a, a Japanese art form of repairing broken pottery With gold. So when the jar falls or the cup falls and it's then repaired, it's an ancient art and it's repaired with gold or silver filling. And then the piece is even more beautiful and valuable for having been broken and repaired than never having been broken at all. And I love that metaphor and that image of, of the healing. Power of repair Um, and that's I think what we're thinking of we're not thinking who would I have been had this not happened to me because it happened but who can I be not only in spite of what happened to me but who can I be because of what happened to me. How can I turn my pain into not only healing for myself, but the final stage of growth for many people is how do I then offer what I've learned out into the world to help others as well. And that is often an amazingly strong, powerful reparative element in the work. When when someone volunteers um, at a homeless shelter, or someone volunteers at a soup kitchen, or someone goes into a profession where they're offering some sort of help and healing to people in the world, in, in whatever form it is. Or someone becomes a teacher, right? You know, helping the children and you know learn things they they didn't get when they were younger. So it's this this reparative process, and we are whole beings, right? Body, mind, heart, and spirit. And you used the word posture before and, and, you know, we, we do get frozen, not just in time and space, but in our, our physical sort of armor churn and our bodies get frozen into postures of fear or, um, anger or, uh, for humiliation or or, or whatever it is. So finding people to help you work with the physical body as well, and there's a lot of somatic therapies out there as well that can help us really move from our physical body as well as our emotional body and our spiritual body. So to really have all the, 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 the prongs, if you will, of healing physically, spiritually, emotionally, as well as cognitively um are are part of what will make us whole again
1: nice well like i mentioned in the introduction the yes. uh, i have tenacity uh, i i can be a mm-hmm. stubborn bullheaded som bitch <laughs> and and that's i mean if you if society's pretty much had the cart tipped over and the the void of the narrative have, has everybody and their dog um, trying to sway the collective consciousness. There's there's real value in in the tenacity that trauma mm-hmm. can instill in us. And like you say, to volunteer at a homeless shelter or to to recognize opportunities to um to put to good use what had previously been a survival tactic i mean there's mm-hmm. gifts that mm-hmm. come out of this because yeah. um you're a different person for uh surviving so to speak and and when when you fully recognize how powerful it is to move through such a narrative in your life Right. You should write. I mean, you should do whatever you want. I'm not telling you what to do, but write books and work at the homeless shelter and and share the the wisdom of your journey. It would seem. Mm.
0: So what you've done, Les, is you've taken the tenacity, right, that you developed as a coping mechanism, as a survival mechanism when you were a kid, to to get through living in a kind of volatile environment with a dad who had really bad PTSD, who you know sounded like he was very unpredictable. And so you had to develop this, this tenacity just to, just to survive, but what you've done, and I, I don't know you, so I don't know how you've done it, but somehow in your life, you've turned what was once a defensive or coping mechanism into something that is now a gift to yourself and to others you have that ability to stick with something and to follow it through and to not let go of something you know is right. I mean tenacity is a wonderful quality to have. As well as it looking like a stubborn and bullheaded person.
1: <laughs> well the charm school really helped, but <laughs>
0: Oh good <laughs>
1: No That was humor. Oh. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that god for charm
1: school huh well I mean we, we've talked to so many people on the show there's, there's just so much to the human genome to the human persona and every one of us is the human genome a human persona and and yet we're such creatures of habit and our egos can be addicted to a predictive narrative that really doesn't Serve our heart and our soul. How do we, how do we flip it over and and like thrive and and mm. uh, explore and and uh, move from a kind of a compressed endurance dynamic to this this open and flowing and creative and expressive mm. dynamic?
0: Well. One is to acknowledge and reach out and know you don't have to go it alone anymore, that you can reach out and connect with other people. And um, there's a, 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 from the Stone Center at Wellesley College out here in Massachusetts, Judith Jordan, with a colleague of Gene Bagram Miller, said that healing happens when we can return to the pain of the past and find that this time we are no longer alone. And I read that oh, I don't know how many years ago, thirty years ago, but it, it stuck in my mind how powerful that is. So so part of our healing and moving forward is to allow to reach out and to allow ourselves to be accompanied on the journey and not think, oh, I can do this all myself. It's it's not just pull yourself up by your bootstraps. There's nothing wrong with that, but that's not the only game in town either. So that's one thing. And then to find meaning in your life and to connect with what gives your life meaning. And it might be a belief in the divine providence. It might be a higher power. It might be connecting with spiritual guides or, or told in animals, and it might not be. It might be feeling the power and the spiritual element of just being in nature, and, and nature is, is your God. So whatever, in whatever fashion that is right for, for the individual, to find a way to have a spiritual connection with something larger than yourself and your own life that allows you to make meaning out of not only your life, but also out of what happened to you. Um, And it reminds me of um, Viktor Frankl, who wrote A Man's Search for Meaning. And Viktor Frankl was a Holocaust survivor. And he wrote in his book, Man's Search for Meaning, that there were people who would walk through the camps and they would share or give away their last piece of bread to, to someone else. And what Viktor Frankl said is that everything can be taken away from a human being except one quality, which is the ability to choose our own attitude under any given situation. So to recognize that no matter what we went through, we have some choices now how do we want to react and relate and respond to those things? And how can we give it forward in some way? And that's the healing right there. So the last chapter of of, of the second book of PTS Dreams is called from the title is From PTSD to PTSG, from post-traumatic stress disorder to post trauma spiritual growth. And I think there's a lot of there's room there for all of us to find a place of moving forward.
1: Very nice. Well, now um, in your book, you shared examples of people who had had traumatic experiences in their life, but they didn't recognize it as trauma. Mm -hmm. And so how, I mean, if we don't know that we're that we have a a ptsd type of a, a imprint on our personality how do we i mean how do we flush those kind of things out i mean a lot of times people don't go look looking for help until it becomes unmanageable but yet so many of us have uh perhaps a collage of stigmas in our psyche how do how do you uh, g- um, look for the the p t s d imprinting in your psyche even though you might not think there's anything there well
0: it's an interesting question because most people don't look don't reach out unless they feel desperate. <laughs> I mean, most <laughs> right, people yeah. who, yeah. So it's it's about teaching teaching our children. You don't have to wait till you feel desperate to to look right. out for help, right? So it's, it's it's education, you know, for, for starters. That um, if you're uncomfortable, if you're a little bit nervous. If you're a little sad, you don't have to wait until you're terrified, enraged, or grief-stricken before you reach out to talk with someone or to connect with someone or to connect with your own higher self to sit down with your own journal and do your own writing and attend to your own dreams And whether you're connecting with another individual or with a group or with a professional, there are times when I'd say, absolutely, it's time to contact a professional. And then there are other people who can connect with spiritual resources, with friends, family, community, and be able to get through whatever it is. Without needing professional help, but there's nothing. One of the things that I think is great in, in their, our younger generation is, you know, just the way I said before that that like word getting triggered has almost become like a colloquialism. Kids nowadays, I find, are talking about going to therapy, and you know, my daughter is in, in you know graduate school right now, and you know, even as far back as high school the kids would ask you know would talk to each other about oh did you see your shrink today or oh you know you're taking meds and not in a, a derogatory way but just like it was like oh and did you have fish for dinner last night or did you have a chicken <laughs> you know it, it, it was just part of the conversation that I think is so healthy really um, and I, I said I sort of say it half jokingly, but really half seriously. I think every teenager should at least get a short course of therapy because God knows, you know, it's hard enough just being an adolescent anytime, but, you know, living in in this world that we live in, it's, you know, the crisis of mental health with young people is just astounding. And so um, I I would love to see that part of the the curriculum of of education um, as well to help kids learn to access those parts of themselves and how to talk about what's bothering them and how to connect with others and, you know, to do so with some some guidance of of people who've been trained how to do this.
1: Very nice. Well, time can fly when you're having fun. We've just got a few minutes left and it's time to shine the light on you. So tell us about your books Tell us about, I mean, do you work with clients in person, online? You're not seeing clients. You are. Tell us about you and your platform.
0: Okay, thank you. So I have two dream books out, and they both have their own little website. So you can go to www.ptsdreams.com and read about and find a way to access that book. PTS dreams transform your nightmares from trauma to healing dream work. So that's one. And the other one is www.moderndreamwork.com. And same thing, you can learn more about that book there. Um, I have a, a website of my professional self, which is Linda Yael That would be L-I-N-D-A-Y-A-E-L-S-C-H-I-L-L-E-R my full name. And where I am right now in my career is to not to off-put your, your readers or listeners. Um, I'm not taking on new clients at the moment for long-term work because I'm moving more into doing more teaching, writing, and consulting. But I am seeing people to consult. If someone wants to come for a consultation, particularly around their dreams um, I'm happy to schedule that either in person or online. I'm in the Boston area, but I can schedule online through the, the wonders of Zoom. Um, and periodically, I offer classes here and there. I don't. I just finished one um, about healing um, our ancestral wounds. I don't have one coming up right now, but. If people are interested in dream work, there's a wonderful organization I'm a member of called IASD, which is the International Association for the Study of Dreams, and it has a yearly conference this year. It's going to be in Ashland, Oregon, and that's in um, in uh, June. But also, if any of your listeners um, either live in or would like to vacation in Hawaii. (laughs) I actually am going to be speaking on Maui at the Barnes and Nobles um, on February 11th. So if you want to come and have a a book event, an interactive event, and combine it with a vacation, if you don't live there, come to Maui on February 11th at the Barnes and Nobles. That's the next uh, sort of public event I have coming
1: up. Well, very nice. Well, Linda, I very much have enjoyed this episode. You've written a wonderful book. It's very comprehensive. It, it's very thorough. I think it's it's a, a very powerful book in that um, you've really taken the time to to break down the, the the everywhere from the horror of the horror of the nightmare to the the the, the spiritual reawakening from it. Mm. Uh, thank you for being our guest tonight i I very much appreciate it.
0: Thank you so much. It was a pleasure to talk with you s
1: we've We've been talking about uh Linda schiller's latest book p t s dreams and uh w- what a nice book. What a wonderful book i'm I'm very delighted for this episode. It was so nice having Linda on the show it, it, i think it's impossible for us to exhaust who we are in in other words as a as a vehicle of inspiration, so to speak, we can make a new decision, a new choice, a new tangent now and now and now forever in in that when we when we set out the intention of of honoring our potential, set out our intention to listen to our inspiration, a new dynamic can come in where we expand ourselves. We expand We expand our sense of self day after day after day. And that, I think, brings wonderful joy to the heart and soul elements of our persona. If your ego is consuming 100% of your consciousness and you've got the busy brain syndrome, life in the fast brain, and you and you'd stare at your phone and you do the social media over and over and over and over again, your heart and your soul have no opportunity to inspire you for new dynamics in your life. So anywho, you showed up for yourself. Here we are at the end of the episode and here you are too. I applaud you for taking the time to show up for yourself. I'm your host, Les Jensen. Always a pleasure. Until next time, thanks for listening. This has been a New Human Living Radio broadcast to bring your soul's
0: inspiration into effect and live your life wide open. Check out our host, Les Jensen's book Citizen King The New Age of Power at newhumanliving.com Thanks for listening.